Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we pray that you would encourage us by the example of the work that these men have done and that you would help us to hide your word in our hearts, uh, young and old alike. We pray that your word would take root and bear very good fruit in us and in our families and our homes. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, we look to you for help and for strength. We are weak and we confess to you, we do find it hard to believe your word, but it's your word and it is true. And so Lord, by your Holy Spirit, come and open it up to us this morning. Uh, Give us the gift of faith, strengthen the faith you have given us. Help us to repent of our pride and our hardness of heart and our stubbornness and make us, Lord, able and willing to submit to you and to submit to your law, to submit to your word. We pray, Lord, that you would come and be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Pastor Bailey, I'm not Pastor Bailey. I'm Stephen Baker, one of the pastors here. And Pastor Bailey has been preaching through the book of Romans, as most of us know, and he has been tracking all along this argument. You have to think about the book of Romans and most of the other books in the New Testament as arguments, reasoning, pushing. And the Apostle Paul has been talking about, arguing about what it means to be right with God, what it means to have your sins forgiven. And, and to actually be declared righteous by God himself, not what it means to be declared righteous by your neighbor or by your professor, or by some uh, activist somewhere, you know? Certainly not what it means to be declared righteous by yourself in your own eyes. No, he's been arguing and reasoning and pushing on and on and on and pushing and arguing and pushing and arguing, one thing all through the book so far, no matter who you are, whether you're Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, young or old, educated, uneducated, whatever, you stand condemned before the holy and righteous judge of all the earth. You stand condemned by God, the one who made you, the one who reveals himself to you all over the place, the one who reveals himself to you in every grain of sand, every blade of grass, every cloud in the sky, constantly, constantly telling you, you know I exist. The one who commands you to honor and worship and thank him, the one who gives you his perfectly righteous law and fully expects you and rightfully expects you to keep it perfectly. You stand condemned before him. No matter who you are, no matter what other people think of you, no matter what you think of yourself, you are a sinner. Not defined by your terms or by the world's terms, but by God's terms. 
by his standard. You're a sinner. And what you have earned by your sin is death. The paycheck you have coming to you. The paycheck you have coming to you from God himself for all of your works, both your blatant immoralities and your self-righteous religiosities, all of it, the only paycheck you have coming to you is death. The wages of sin is death. So the one thing you deserve from the righteous God is death, judgment, eternal separation from every blessing of God including sitting here and breathing right now. You deserve all of that to be taken away from you. And so your only hope is to throw yourself down, to throw yourself down in the dust with no pride and no dignity of your own on the mercy of God. It's the only hope, the only source of mercy from God is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ God in the flesh came to this earth, lived a perfect life of obedience, a perfect life of obedience to every little detail of God's law, and he died the death that only lawbreakers deserve. Lived the perfect life of law keeping, died the death of lawbreakers so that he could take our sin on himself and give us his perfect righteousness. And he did that in such a way that we who were born enemies of God, born slaves of sin, born slaves of Satan, having been taken captive by him to do his will, who come into this world with not an ounce or a spark of goodness in us at all, that we could be transformed into men and women and little children who love God, who hate our sin, who delight in his law, and who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to actually begin obeying the God whom we now love. That is the message of the gospel. That's it. All of that comes to us as good news. That's what gospel means. It comes to us as good news to us. All of that is yours if you believe it. The good news, the Apostle Paul says back in Romans 1, The good news is, the gospel is, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The power of God to save you, if you believe it. And so the Apostle Paul has been arguing and arguing and pushing and pushing, hedging everybody off for all their their, uh, objections, and then he comes and he comes to chapter eight and he summarizes all that for us with these words in chapter eight. We're gonna start reading in verse one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And now the new verses for this week, verse five. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. 
because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So last week, Pastor Bailey preached to us about that declaration in the first part of the chapter, God's declaration for everyone who is in Christ Jesus, for everyone who believes the gospel and who has been accepted by God because of Jesus. That declaration is verse one, there is, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, why? Because if you are in Christ Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, then the spirit of life, the Holy Spirit, has set you free from the law of sin and of death. God sent our Lord Jesus to do what you and I could never do. What we could never do. He sent his son what, to do what his own law could never do. You see how he says that here? What the law even could never do. The law is holy and righteous and good and it's the word of God and it's the expression of God's character but the law couldn't, couldn't do this. All the law could do is tell us what to do and then condemn us for not doing it. The law cannot enter into you, give you a new heart, forgive your sins, wash you clean, give you a clean conscience, declare you righteous, make you love God, and make you able to obey him. The law can't do that. But the, what the law couldn't do, what does it say? What's it say? God did. God did. How? By sending his son to live perfectly according to God's law and to die according to God's law. To keep the law and then that, but die for breaking it. Just as the law demands. He kept it on both sides by doing exactly what the law commands and by suffering the death that the law says comes to everyone who disobeys. And he did that, verse four, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so what he says in our passage today, verses five to eight, is an argument that comes out of that, right? So verse five says this, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. So in verse four, he says that Jesus did his work so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And verse five, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. You see this, he's, verse five is just flowing out of and the argument. Verse five is actually an argument for what he just said in verse four. Okay, do you see this? I know, you have to think. You have to read. You have to reason. He's arguing with us. What he says in verse four is that the work of Jesus, living a perfectly lawful life, dying as a lawbreaker, gives something to everyone who believes. 
when Jesus fulfilled the law, you fulfilled the law. That's what he says. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In us. Those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who believe. When Jesus fulfilled the law, you fulfilled the law because every believer is in Christ Jesus. God the Father looks at Jesus. He looks at Jesus and his perfect fulfillment of the law. And he looks at you. He looks at you through the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ, perfectly obeying the law. And what does he see when he sees you then? What does he see? Come on the perfect righteous requirement of the law fulfilled in you. I know you have a hard time believing that because I have a hard time believing that. You do have a hard time believing it, right? Even though, even though that is the very, very core of, 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 of Christianity, right? It is the core of the Bible. That is the point. That is the gospel. And every one of us in this room has a hard time believing it. When God looks at you, he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ fulfilled. Well, who is that true of? Is it true of everyone? Is it true of everyone in this room? No. Is it true of the man or the woman or even the little child who has no regard for the holiness of God? No. Is it true of the man or woman who is satisfied with their own moral abilities, their own moral righteousness? Is it true of anyone who's satisfied with their own works? who think, you know, I'm a good person, I've done this and this and this, and I'm bringing that to God and I expect to be paid for it, right? He owes me, he owes me. Well, if that's who you are, none of this is true of you. It's not. It is only true of you who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So what does that mean? Well, to walk according to the flesh means to live your life like an unbeliever. To live your life like an unbeliever, someone who's not been born again, someone who does not have the Holy Spirit. And that means it could be one of two things or probably both, okay? It means you give yourself to gross immorality. And all I mean by that is just simply disobeying the the, the law of God. You give yourself to disobedience to God's law. You're callous against God's law. You actually hate it. You want to do what you want to do when you want to do it. That's one way to walk according to the flesh. Or you give yourself to gross religiosity. (laughs) Or both. Both. 
Whenever we read about the flesh in the Bible, whenever we use that word or hear it in church, you know, we almost always think of gross immorality, don't we? The flesh. You can just feel it. It kind of drips with grossness, you know. It does. And why? Well, because it does. (laughs) I mean, that's true. That's definitely a huge part of what it means, right? Gross immorality, disobedience to God, flagrant disregard for his law. And so we think of passages like Galatians 5, where the Apostle Paul talks about the deeds of the flesh. He says the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the flesh. But the flesh is much more than that kind of obvious stuff. The flesh is also our innate addiction to our own righteousness. The flesh is what, what made it, motivates not just our immorality, but also our morality apart from Jesus Christ. Flesh motivates not just our immorality, but our morality. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 3, 3. He's arguing with the Galatians about this very point, okay? People who want to make themselves righteous with God by bringing him things and saying, here, now pay me, right? Their own righteousness. And here's what he says. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the what? The flesh. What does he mean by that? Does he mean... Are you now being perfected by gross immorality and disregard for God's law? No, no one thinks that. What we think is, I can bring something to God that deserves his blessing, right? Philippians three, he warns of this. He says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. These are all men who practice religion. Beware of them. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. If you're bringing your righteousness to God, you are putting confidence in the flesh. You are walking according to the flesh. Just as much as the drunkard, just as much as the carouser, just as much as the immoral, the sexually immoral man or woman. The flesh is what motivates every religious act by everyone in the whole world apart from Christ. It is the flesh that motivates every religion apart from the truth. Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, secularists, social justice warriors, climate activists, homeschool mothers, fathers with really strong work ethics. Right? This is what 
the flesh motivates every ounce of religion and every religious act. So how many people in churches all over the world, more to the point, how many people here right now in this church, in our church, are walking according to the flesh in the sense that they profess to believe the gospel, but they are not in Christ. They're still relying on themselves. You can't be in Christ if you're relying on yourself. That means you're in yourself. And you stand naked before God with no cover at all, just you. Just you. Is that you? Relying on your goodness, your wisdom, your cleanness, your adherence to some kind of moral code, whatever it is, it could be God's, it could be yours, it could be your grandmother's, it could be the unions, whatever. It could be the universities. Oh, but you stick to it. If that's you, then you're walking according to the flesh and you have nothing to do with Jesus Christ and he has nothing to do with you. Now, what's the other type of person in verse four? He says, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That man or woman lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the one who walks according to the spirit has the Holy Spirit in them, awakening their conscience, not making them callous to their sin, but making them very soft to their sin. Making them delight in God's law, just like we saw in Romans 7. Making them see and hate their sin. Giving them the gifts of repentance and faith. Empowering them to start walking in obedience to God as new creatures in Christ. That's what it means to walk according to the Spirit. And so Jesus did his work of redemption, verse 4 so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And now verse five, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Now why is it true that these blessings of the gospel come only to those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit? Why is that? Because those who are according to the flesh, he says, set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. In other words, the way that we walk, see that word, verse four? The way that we walk. Walk means live out your life. The way that you live out your life comes from deep down inside of you. It comes from who you are. And those who walk according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, their mindset, their whole orientation, their truest self, you know? Not pretty, not spiritual, not deep. Their truest self is set on the things of the flesh. But those who, set, who live their lives according to the Spirit do that because they set their minds on the thing of the Spirit. And he goes on to say in verse six, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. The mindset on the flesh, living out your own desires and your own pride, is what? What is it? 
death, death. To live as if God does not exist, to live as if his law is nothing, his holiness is nothing, and at the same time to live as if his gospel is nothing. In other words, nope, it's up to you. To do that is to cut yourself off from God himself. That is the definition of death. It's to cut yourself off from God, to be cut off from God. That is the sentence that walking in the flesh deserves death. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way which seems right to a man. Right? But its end is what? Death. It's death. And these are the things that seem right to us when when our mindset is on the flesh. I can do whatever I want. No one can tell me what to do. I don't have to listen to my parents. I can't wait for the day when I get out from under this yoke, this burden, this obnoxious weight. I don't want to do what they tell me to do, right? That seems right. Or I'm going to do everything I can to make God like me. That seems right. It's what every religion everywhere all the time is doing, right? Seems right. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is the way of death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. To be in fellowship with God is life. To walk humbly with God is peace. Why? Why is the mindset on the flesh death? Verse seven. Because the mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset of the spirit is life and peace. Why? Because The mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. Not even able. Okay, so listen. This is the truth, and this is a very ugly truth, but it is the truth. This is the truth about you. You came into this life with a mind set on the flesh. Disregarding God, disregarding the law, disregarding the gospel too. You came into this life with a mind set on the flesh. You came into this life as a little baby with your whole personality bent against the holiness of God bent against the law of God, bent against God himself. That is true of every one of us, still true of some of you. That's you even now sitting and and listening and, and, and hearing this. You came into this world hostile to God we would love it to be something else. We would love it to be, no, 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 I, I you know, okay, I, I came into the world indifferent. You know, 
just kind of neutral. Surely my little baby came into the world neutral, right? Not neutral, not indifferent, certainly not open, certainly not spiritual, certainly not seeking God. No, you came into this world hostile to God. You hated him. You hated him. And that hatred could look like, like I said, one of two things. It could look like complete disregard for him or complete disregard for him, right? One by your immorality, one by your religion and your morality, your righteousness. And you will not subject yourself to the righteousness of God. You've got your own. What is that? That's hatred towards God. Some of you hate him still. You can come to this church, any church, every Sunday of the year. You certainly can grow up in the church, right? And you can come because your parents bring you, your husband brings you, your wife brings you. You just come because it's the thing to do. You, you can be here and hate him because you're in the flesh and your mind is set on the flesh. And that might look like a calloused indifference to God's law or it might look like a proud, censorious, puffed up righteousness of your own by which you judge everyone but yourself. That is one sure way to know whether you are walking in the flesh. Not just are you sleeping around and getting drunk and acting like a fool. That's one way. Some of you are doing that. But the other way is this. Are you self-righteous and censorious? Censorious means you're never judging yourself. You're always judging everybody else. Always judging everybody else. Again, Galatians, the Apostle Paul's dealing with this issue. He's dealing with this issue of people who are trying to make up their own righteousness and offer it to God and expect payment for it, right? Eternal life. If I do this, you owe me, God. So as he's dealing with, and here's what he says. He says in chapter 5, verse 14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. What does it mean to bite and devour one another? It's the opposite of loving each other, right? It's judging. It's that censorious, nasty, proud, self-righteous spirit that doesn't see any of your sin but sees everybody else's and will be very careful to mark it all down, right? Biting and devouring one another. A church that is walking according to the flesh can do nothing but bite and devour itself. 
In Galatians 5, I read this a minute ago, but I wanted you to hear it through this lens, okay? He says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are what? All the things we think of, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, drunkenness, carousing, right? But here's what is in the middle of that list. Enmities, you know what that means? That means uh, hating each other, right? Enmities, strife, refusing to get along with each other, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, cliques, envying, Okay, that's in the middle of that list of the works of the flesh. It is actually the majority of the list, all right? Most of that list is interpersonal nastiness. Oh, but you don't drink. Oh, you don't get drunk. Oh, you don't go carousing. You don't go sleeping around. Great, keep it up. But you're so proud, so proud. And your life is nothing but biting and devouring everybody. So, the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. Now, why is the mindset on the flesh unable to subject itself to the law of God? What kind of inability is that? It's moral. There's not some missing part that you have that can't do certain things. You got everything. The problem is not physical. The problem is not metaphysical. The problem is ethical. It is moral. We come into the world hating God. And since God's law is the expression, the perfect expression of his character, his holiness, of course we hate the law of God. The law of God is just a reflection of God. This is ethical, it is moral, it is ultimately personal. We cannot submit to the law of God. We cannot do it because we hate God. It's personal. This is you. This is your children. This is you children, young and old alike. This is all of us. This is your sweet mother, your neighbor. That neighbor who you look at and think is so much better than you. You cannot love God. You cannot make yourself a friend of God. You cannot make yourself love God's law. Jeremiah says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? No. If the Ethiopian can change his skin, then you can go ahead and and learn to be righteous. No, you can't. Because this is who you are. 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Then he rings the final death knell to all of our pride in verse eight. He says, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Cannot please God. If you're in the flesh, if you've not been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, then you are hostile toward God. You do not subject yourself to the law of God. You're not even able to begin to do so. If you're in the flesh, there is nothing you can do to please God. Nothing. If you are in the flesh, if you're living as if you are a law unto yourself, no one can tell you what to do, you answer to no one. And if you're living as if your little mind can come up with truth and standards of righteousness that you can keep apart from God, and that's why you think you're a great person, right? If you think of yourself as a good person, a moral person, then actually you are walking around in death. You are walking around in death. No matter what you do, you're heaping up judgment for yourself. Everything you do, either to break God's law or to make up your own and offer it back to God, you are are building a storehouse of judgment that will fall on your head. Romans 2.5, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You can stubborn, be stubborn and unrepentant as an idolater and an immoral, loose drunkard or you can be stubborn and unrepentant as a righteous moral man or woman. And you're storing up God's judgment. You could be the cleanest, most moral man in your family, in your class, in your church, on the block, at your job. You could be the nicest lady But everything you do is an abomination to the Lord. An abomination to the Lord. He hates it. Proverbs 15.8 says, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Now offering sacrifices was what God commanded. If you're offering sacrifices in the Old Testament, you're obeying the law of God, but the the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Even that right thing to do is an abomination to God. Even if you're doing outwardly good things, even outwardly obeying God's own commandments, without the Holy Spirit, without faith, even your good deeds are an abomination to God. Even your worship is an abomination to God even though God commands that you do it. Because why? Hebrews eleven six says, without faith it is impossible to please him. Without faith it is impossible to please him. In order for an act or a word or a thought even to be pleasing to God, it has to be in keeping with God's word, right? It has to be doing what God told us to do but it also has to be done with the right motive and to the right end. 
In order to be pleasing to God, everything we do has to be motivated by faith. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. It has to be motivated by faith and aimed at the glory of God. Not your glory, but God's. All right, so think of your neighbor. Think of your neighbor, your relative, who makes no profession of faith. Think of the professor at school. Think of the boss. Think of the guy who lives around the corner. You're intimidated by them, aren't you? You are. Think about it. You're intimidated by all kinds of people in your life who make no claim to be Christians. None. But you're intimidated by them. Because you think that they're more righteous than you are. You think they're more godly than you are. You think they are nicer than you are. So sweet. They're never impatient. Surely they never yell at their kids. They're so friendly. They seem, they seem like moral giants compared to you. I mean, look at their grass. Their gutters don't have stuff growing out of them. I mean, it's perfect. Their children, right, are like perfect. They volunteer in the community, they give to the soup kitchen, whatever. They donate their time and their money to philanthropic endeavors in the community. They're so tolerant of people who are different from them. Why can't I be like that? They're so clean, they're so conscientious, they drive a Prius. I mean, come on. All of that, we look at them. What does God say? The mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you look at yourself, especially when you compare yourself with that kind of person. You look at yourself and you cringe and you see your sins and you see your motives and you see your nasty, petty uh, bitterness and your bile. You see it, don't you? Don't you see yourself? <laughs> and you look at your works and you look at your greed and you look at your stinginess. You look at yourself, you're cold towards your neighbors. You're unforgiving, you're discontent, you're filled with lust and anger. And then what? You have two options, two bad options. One bad option is to say, okay, to heck with it all. 
Why bother? I can't do it. Right? The other option is to say, oh, I can do better. I can do better than them. In other words, you can set your mind on the things of the flesh. If you set your mind on the things of the flesh, you will die. But if you set your life and your mind on the things of the Spirit, you will have life and peace. If you set your mind on the flesh, you'll wallow in your rebellion and shake your fist at God, or you'll try your best to clean yourself up so that God has to accept you. Or if you set your mind on the Spirit, you'll humble yourself in the dust before God. And you will hate your sin. You'll hate your sin because you see it. You will find yourself loving God. Loving the law of God. Delighting in the law of God. Just like the Apostle Paul said back in chapter 7. I see it. I find myself delighting in the law of God. Right? That ain't natural. Where does that come from? comes from the Holy Spirit. And yet at the same time, you see your sin. But here's the other thing. If you are walking according to the Spirit, if you're setting your mind on the things of the Spirit, you're having life and peace, you know what else? You will be pleasing to God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But if you are walking according to the Spirit, you will be pleasing to God. You will be pleasing to God. Why? Because you're in Christ. And God is well pleased with his Son. When, when God the Father looked at his Son, he said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. If you're in Christ, you are his beloved Son in whom he is well pleased. What it says, what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians is this, God is at work in you by his Holy Spirit both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you hear this? God is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. The fact that you see your sin and feel disgusting compared to your righteous neighbor shows you what? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So come to Jesus. Keep coming to him. Lay down your pride. Lay down your hatred of God. Lay down your self-righteousness. Lay down your lawlessness. Lay down your rebellion against your parents. 
To rebel against your parents is to rebel against God. Lay it down. Jesus himself, the Son of God, lived this perfect life according to God's standard, died the death you and I deserve. He is ready and willing and perfectly able to save you, to save you from your sins, to give you a clean new heart that loves God and loves the law of God. If you haven't come to him, come to him. You will die if you don't. But if you have come to him, keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. Don't run. Come. Come to him and find life and peace. Let's pray. Dear Father, please have mercy on us. I pray for those here whose hearts are still hard and callous and closed off to you, whose necks are stiff, who think of themselves as very good and very righteous and judge everybody else by the standard of their own righteousness, not yours. Lord, have mercy on them. Humble them. Let them see themselves for what they are. And I pray for those who are living in rebellion and outright hatred of your law. Father, humble them. Give them fear of judgment. Let them turn to you for mercy. Please help us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.